Hey, all you intrepid architects out there. If you believe design can change the world, then you've found your humans here on this show, Architecting. My name is Angela Mazzi, and I'm an architect and career coach who's figured out how to live my passion while claiming a successful architecture career and lifestyle. This show is about the architect as a person and will help you bypass the status quo traps in our profession while teaching you how to make an impact in your career. We need to stand in our power as architects and use our skills to make great places. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Hey there, bright lights. It's Angela, and today we are going to talk about the race to the bottom. As many of you have probably noticed, things have gotten highly competitive in our world, whether it's finding your favorite product on the shelf at the grocery store, to raw material shortages, to labor shortages. We are all experiencing a mismatch of supply and demand and nowhere is that perhaps more close to home than in the architecture world. We are going to talk in upcoming episodes about the labor equation. I am doing a great interview with a recruiter in the architecture profession, Bryce Batts, and we're going to talk about some of these really deep juicy issues related to recruitment and retention and entering and leaving the workforce and exploring alternative careers. But for today, we're going to look at it from the client side. There was clearly a lot of instability in the past year. Market sectors like hospitality and higher education were hit particularly hard by having to close down or having to offer a compromised experience to consumers, and that hurt them. In addition, there are market disruptors out there like Amazon and retail that are really changing the equation and regrading the playing field. We talk about leveling the playing field while they're regrading it. It isn't level at all anymore. And our clients respond to that, of course, often from lack-based thinking. And you might be going, huh, what does that really mean? Well, it means that you are coming from a point of view of being more afraid of what you might lose than what you might gain. And I want you to think about that. More afraid of what you might lose than what you might gain. And we've talked about this issue with regard to our personal lives on many episodes of this show because I really believe that lack-based thinking makes you less generous. It makes you hoard your talent. It makes you competitive. When you really believe that their pie is only so big, you better get your piece or else, right? And there's actually a whole economic theory around this called Red Ocean Strategy. Red Ocean essentially think sharks and blood in the water. Essentially, when that happens, it truly becomes a race 
to the bottom. There are what are considered the loss leaders, the things that say, I will offer you something so cheap that you'll be driven to it just because of cost. Quality isn't as important. There's the high quality, high price offering, which is more of the upscale brand, right? There's the sort of reliable cash cow commodity. There's the innovators, the quirkier, higher risk brands, but they're really interesting and they're the disruptors and they're on the cutting edge of innovation. You can imagine how different kinds of firms could fit into that matrix. What Red Ocean Strategy essentially does is to say we're going to be loss leaders and we're going to essentially drive the competition out of the market because we will make price the primary thing that we compete on. And as we know, when you're looking for anything, price may be a factor, but there are a whole lot of other considerations that go into whether it is the right choice for you. And it's no different when you're choosing an architecture firm. First of all, you want to know experience. You care about talent and vision. You care about how the firm might approach the project. And you also care about how much you like them. I had an old boss one time who used to say, first, they have to like you. Before every interview we ever went in, first, they have to like you. Remember that. Because people hire people. And if they don't like you, you be the greatest designer of all time with a hundred projects just like theirs under their belt and they are never going to hire you. We know all this, right? But unfortunately, when a firm operates from lack-based thinking, they feel like they have to compete on the metric of price. And the minute that one firm lowers fees, there's going to be pressure on other firms to do that as well. Especially when you work on projects where there are RFPs being issued and RFQs and there's an interview process. There are multiple firms that will get interviewed and will submit prices. Owners know how to play us off of one another really well, and they look at prices, and if someone comes in with a really low price, they'll go back to the other firms and say, hey, you need to lower your fees. That definitely puts the firm in a bit of a quandary. They have to now decide, do we meet them halfway? Do we take some of the services out in order to accommodate a lower fee? Do we buy the project because we want to keep our employees busy and this is a high enough profile project that'll help us win more work? My advice to you is always not to buy the project because when you do that, what happens is over time, your client doesn't value you. I mean, think about it again, going back to a retail analogy. When you shop for a pair of sunglasses, if you walk into the convenience store because you forgot your sunglasses and you buy a cheap pair, how well do you take care of those sunglasses? Do you really care if you lose them? Do you really care if your kids play with them? Versus 
if you went and bought a pair of high-end designer sunglasses, I mean, those you would keep in a hard case, you would lean, you wouldn't want to scratch or nick on them because you invested in them. And that is what is important for firms to do is to help clients understand that it isn't trading dollars for hours and getting back an adequate project. It's about investing in a built environment that will give them a return on investment across every dimension, not just in terms of payback time or first cost, because it will make the people that use that space better. And if we can't communicate that, there's a corollary problem that happens when a client devalues you. Not only are you not making the fees you should be making, but you're not being perceived as having value, right? Because the owner didn't invest in you. They got a deal. When that happens, there becomes a lack of respect for your time and your talent. They will, for example, set an unreasonable deadline or call meetings at the spur of the moment and expect that you're going to drop everything and be able to accommodate that need. They may be going through some internal struggles that mean that they either can't make a decision in a timely manner or they make a decision and then they change it and yet they won't move the deadline because they're more concerned about the commitment they made to start construction or to have the building occupied by a certain date. That can feel really awful as the architect. Not only are you asking me to do more for you, provide more service for less money, but you're not even willing to accommodate the fact that a delay in decision-making should have a corresponding delay in the design process. This is where I think you need to acknowledge the pain point of your client, the fact that they do have a lot of pressures to bear, and in fact, certain dates may not be negotiable for them. That doesn't mean that your time to work on the project can't be. So how does this work? Well, first of all, it means you have to be creative about how scheduling works. It means that you have to start to fragment the project and start to say, can we put out early packages so that we can say the building is going to be this footprint, so we import foundations. We know what it's going to be built out of. Or we even know that we could build shell building and that the fit out of that building can lag behind because we can make those big move decisions earlier and then defer to the planning a little bit later because that process will take longer. Or can we start with entitlements or can we start with site work or utility work or demolition or remediation earlier? So that's the first thing that you can do to try to take an unreasonable deadline and still make space for design and let that process get the justifiable breathing room it needs to really matter. 
The next thing that you can do is try to stack the way that you design. So for example, if you've got multiple people on the team, can you break down the areas of the project you're working on and hold several concurrent meetings so that you're able to get more information from your clients in the same period of time? I always find it's helpful to have all the meetings either on the same day or within the same two or three days so that as you're working from meeting cycle to meeting cycle, you're not shortchanging yourself, right? Because if you have, let's say, two weeks between meeting cycles and you had one meeting on first day of the meeting cycle, but then you didn't have another meeting till let's say the third or fourth day, you've lost almost half of your work time, right? So be really explicit as you are scheduling meeting cycles, but also the agendas for those cycles to make sure that you're stacking as much as possible so you're getting the information on the same day. And then there's a lot of pressure to have two-week meeting cycles on a bigger project that is just never going to be possible. But on a medium or small project, the reason that you should try to fight for three-week meeting cycle is you not only need more time to design, but they need time to digest. I always like to joke that if you gave an architect a design problem, they could give you a building in a week. What slows us down is our clients need to take the time to meet with us, take the time to digest the information we're sharing with them, go back to their departments or colleagues, get feedback, then provide us with additional input. And we know this. And we know that they have a full-time job, that working on this project is not the only thing they're doing. So we almost create this sense of unrealistic expectations out there that we can show them something and there can be an instant decision made. So we need to help them understand their decision-making process and walk them through that so that they are making the most comprehensive and well-informed decisions at every step of the process. The last thing we need to do is to show them options. Even sometimes in unlikely scenarios where it feels like there's not a lot of choice, it's important for the client to see why certain things don't work and why you ruled them out. Otherwise, they're likely to have questions later and ask you to explore that issue. By showing them together, by working through it together, you're helping them to understand the complicated factors that go into making what might otherwise seem like a really straightforward, simple decision. By doing that with them, you're helping them to appreciate the expertise you're bringing to the project and the true complexity of many of these project issues which also helps them see your value and be more sensitive to the time it really takes to do something and do it the right way. It also should set you up better for them to be able to make a decision in a timely manner, as well as to stick by that decision because you've helped them 
look at it from multiple angles. You also can give them the tools they need to share that information. I think a lot of times we can forget that our clients aren't architects, or sometimes they are, but they work in a very narrow field. When we simply turn over work that seems simple and straightforward to us, we forget that they may not be able to read that drawing terribly well and understand the scale. Or when they ask for something and we can envision how it will lay out and understand why it won't work, that they can't. Or when they think they need something, it's not until we can bring it to life for them that they can really look at it and understand what it means to have that feature or that operational function. And then, then and only then, when we brought it to life for them, can they say, oh, you know what? Yeah, that that's not what I want. So we, we have to prime the pump, if you will, by explaining a lot of this beforehand, but then also crafting a process where we truly bring them along with us, where we always understand a project works on this tripartite structure of time and money and the work. And they're not going to be equal, right? So if you spend more money, you could do something in less time. If you do more work, you could do something in less time. But they work in a cycle and one influences the other. So when you start to hear rumblings about moving a deadline but not giving more time, the answer might be that it costs more money. And don't be afraid. I think we are so afraid. We sell ourselves out all the time because we're afraid to ask for our worth. And therefore, we perpetuate the thinking about how we don't provide value. Remember that three-part structure. And if you cannot use scheduling strategies to try to balance out delays and still keep the same schedule. The last trigger point is to spend more money so that more resources can be put on the job. Don't be apologetic about that. You are essentially meeting their need. You are doing what they're requesting and you're helping them get an important goal, which is building this building by a certain date, accomplished. And just like if at the last minute I need to order something and I have to pay premium shipping expenses because I didn't order it in a manner to let standard shipping apply. If someone needs express services from you, there should be a premium rate attached. So I hope this was helpful. This is an issue that has come up with several people in the architecting community and other architecture communities that I'm a part of. So I thought it was important. We don't often get into the nitty gritty of business strategies here because that's not the core of what the architecting community is about. But I do think if we want to be advocates for a better built environment, we also have to be advocates for our own value and stop the race to the bottom by selling the value. 
and by holding to the fact that things cost money, whether it is an expedited schedule or additional services or a higher level of design. I'd love to hear how you've applied these strategies in your own projects, what's working for you, what's not working for you, where you might need some additional resources. I'm here to help. And if you know a friend who could use this, please forward the information on this podcast. Tell them to subscribe. It is free. And when you subscribe, You help bump up this podcast in the algorithms so that more people can find it. More people can benefit by the information that's shared. So please subscribe. It really does help get the bigger message out to more people. And like I said, it's easy and free to subscribe. And as always, if you do need one-on-one coaching because you're feeling a little bit stuck and you need a little bit more personalized attention on your issue, please go to the Architecting Podcast website. There is a tab for coaching programs, and I offer a whole spectrum of programs. Everything from an easy access half-hour lightning session all the way up to a 90-day program. And those are all one-on-one, so they'll be totally customized to your issues and your needs. And I would love to work with you and help you break through your barriers. All right, take care for now. I love you all. Bye. Thanks for being part of this episode of Architecting. If you enjoyed the show, join our community on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn to keep up with what's in the show pipeline, including a behind-the-scenes look at my architecture lifestyle. Feel free to share your content ideas. Love to hear your feedback. You can also visit architectingpodcast.com to download free career content and learn about my classes, book, and coaching programs. Until next time, stay inspired. (laughs) 